Well, hello again. I'm Derek. I'm the pastor, one of the pastors here, and we're going to get into God's Word. So grab your Bible and open to Ephesians. Oh, I think, uh, yeah, are we dismissing children that, that may be here? Yes. <laughs> or stick around, whatever you'd like to do. Okay. Uh, we're going to turn with, turn with me in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, and we'll get there in just a moment. We are in a series of messages that we have called Walk Worthy. And uh, you'll recall, perhaps, if you've been around for some of this series, that we have been teaching our way through a book in your Bible called Ephesians, a letter written by Paul to a church in a town called Ephesus. And uh, in some ways, we've broken Ephesians down into two parts. And the first three chapters just recounted the spiritual blessings we have in Jesus. And, this, and, and we, we spent multiple Sundays thinking about the good news of Jesus and all that God has done for us through Christ. And then in a, in a way, the letter pivots, and the second half of the letter uh, becomes, uh, it still has that gospel good news, of course, but it becomes practical as well. And it's saying, here's how you then live. Here's how you walk worthy. In light of all that God has done for you, how is it that we are to live? And so... Um, Last Sunday, as Paul is writing this letter, he got to a very serious topic. We have the riches of, of our spiritual blessings in Christ. We have these instructions how to walk and follow him in our life. And, and now we have the end of the letter and this serious topic of the reality that we need to come to grips with if we're not already aware of it. The reality, this biblical worldview that, that we are in the midst of a spiritual battle, that we are in the midst of, of a supernatural war between good and evil. We need to come to recognize as followers of Jesus, safe with God, we need to yet know and be aware that Satan and his forces are real and to be reckoned with, and we need God's power to, to fight this spiritual battle. So, the good news is, while we want to recognize the reality of Satan and the forces of evil and his work in the world, what's, what's, what we want to remember, too, is that anything that Satan manages to do is, is under God's thumb. Anything that Satan manages to do is, is only as much as God allows. And we look to the end of the Bible, to the, to the end of God's story, so to speak, and we know that that the evil one's eventual and ultimate demise is assured. Victory is God's. It's already assured. So, so we want to come to grips with this. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us that your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The implications we talked about last Sunday are that, that he's terribly powerful, terribly evil, and terribly cunning. He's a schemer and a troublemaker. But we know that God is at work for our good and his glory. Even in the midst of the chaos that the evil one may be able to stir up, we know that God is good and that he is at work for our good and his glory. So we don't want to avoid the extremes. We don't want to be on one extreme where we're oblivious to the reality of the spiritual forces of evil and the spiritual battle, the supernatural battle that's going on. We don't want to be oblivious. We want to be aware. We want to see what God's word has to say. And at the same time, we want to avoid the other extreme of becoming so obsessed um, or, or, or focused 
on the evil one, that, that we look for him under every rock and, and therefore miss what God has for us to serve him for his good, for our good and his glory. So you'll remember last week, then look with me in Ephesians chapter 6. Last week our verses included verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Notice that it doesn't talk about our own strength. Be strong in the Lord and his strength. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. God's armor, not your efforts, not your uh, ways to survive. Put on God's armor that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So one of the things we reminded ourselves last Sunday was that, that in this battle, in this spiritual war between the forces of good and the forces of evil, this is, this is a battle that is futile if we're fighting on our own strength. It is going nowhere. We are not in good shape if we're going to fight it in our flesh, if we're going to, if we're going to, try, to try hard on our own to get through. So let's read uh, this morning's passage. Ephesians 6, verses 13 and following. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, and you, may be able, and you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Father, speaking of prayer, we, we yet again come to you asking you to teach us from your word. Help us uh, as, we, as we read and study Speak to our hearts and minds by your spirit so that we would understand what you have for us today and how we could continue to grow in our relationship with you. Thank you, God, for this gift of, of the Bible. Speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we take a closer look now at, the, at those few verses, um, one of the things that one of the commentators, as I studied this passage this, this week, uh, one of the things that the commentator brought up that, I, that really struck me and got me thinking, and I thought it was such an interesting thing to consider, uh, is, is, first of all, we do know, we know that Paul, the author of this letter, a leader of God's people, uh, wrote this letter, and very likely when he was writing this letter, he was held prisoner in Rome. Um, and so we know that about where, the kind of the setting and the situation about when Paul was writing and so one of the commentators I was studying this week, Kent Hughes, um, he, he brought this up. And, and it's a little bit of conjecture, but it still gives you an idea. He, here's Paul, held prisoner, writing this letter to God's people, then and to us now, God through Paul to us now, and comes to this very important topic of spiritual warfare and wants us to understand this unseen reality and so he's, Paul's thinking of reaching for metaphors about how to describe how we fight this battle, how we arm ourselves. And, uh, and so Kent Hughes points out that, that Paul may very well have been chained to a Roman soldier at that moment while writing this letter. 
he was held prisoner, there was at least a Roman soldier nearby. If not, Paul was chained to him. And perhaps it's this Roman soldier that then unwittingly sits to become a picture in God's word of how you and I arm ourselves, how we can win this invisible war. He's chained to a Roman soldier and he sees the different parts of the Roman soldier's uniform and Paul then begins, by God working through Paul, writes this portion of the letter about the soldier's armor and how, how that will describe for us what we do to stand firm, what we do to put on God's armor, what we do to stand in God's strength as we face this battle. So looking at verse 13 again, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. There's both a command and a promise here. We're commanded to take up the armor and then we're assured that if we do, we will be victorious. Put on God's armor and you will stand firm. You will be victorious. And so, of course, then we want to have this passage show us how do we put on God's armor and what are these items of of armor that we want to remember and count on and find the Lord's strength in them. Because again, let me just say it again, verse 10 said, be strong in the Lord, not in yourself, not in your own efforts. Verse 10 told us to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And so again, it's not about self-reliance. It's about dependence on God and finding all that we need in him. So verse 14 begins to um, explain the various items in, in this soldier's uniform, in the, in the armor, that now is, and we're being told how that then should teach us or remind us of the armor of God that we can put on. Verse 14, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. God, and, and in his word, there is objective spiritual truth that we find in Jesus and what he's done on the cross and in all that God has to teach us in his scriptures. There is truth about God, ourselves, our history, and our future. This is is where we find truth. And so without it, we do not have a chance in the spiritual battles that come our way. I mean, think about the environment that we often find ourselves in. We live in an environment of, of deception, of where it's often easier to lie, where it's often easier to embellish or exaggerate and to make ourselves look better. And in the midst of all this deception and tendency toward lies, we, as followers of Jesus, we must know the truth, and we must live out the truth. Uh, And so the belt of truth here is reminding us that that, that there's, there's an importance of knowing truth, but there's also an importance of living out the truth. We go to God's word for what is true, and we ask him by his spirit to apply it to our hearts and minds so that we can live it out. And as we live out lives of truth, knowing truth and living out truth, we're we're fastening the belt of truth. It's uh, like the belt on a uniform. It's holding us together. It's holding us together in the battle so that we can, as we seek truth, we can have a clear conscience and then facing the enemy, we can face the enemy without flinching because we are in the truth. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. 
That verse continues, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate, this would have been a piece of the armor that would con- uh, con- uh, cover the, the upper torso, protect the vital organs, including the heart. And so here Paul is saying that that's what righteousness does, that righteousness protects our heart. Because what do we know left to ourselves, left to our own ways, left to our default tendencies, what do we know about our hearts? Romans 3 tells us the human condition. Romans 3 says there is none who is righteous. No, not one. No one seeks for God. Not even one. Apart from God, prior to knowing Jesus, this is the truth of our reality, that no one seeks after God, that no one is righteous on their own efforts. And so all the time then, we celebrate around here the good news, the gospel good news, that God rescues sinners from sin and death. That through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we can have new life. That was our condition, is, not, is, is unrighteous and not seeking God. But we have a God who comes after us, who pursues us. And then theologians sometimes describe this, this aspect of our salvation of, of the, called the great exchange. Theologians sometimes talk about something for us to marvel at, at Christ's work on the cross, that there's this great exchange that in coming to Jesus, in giving your life to Jesus, all of our sin, yours and mine, was laid on Jesus. Jesus took upon himself the weight and the guilt and the punishment for our sin. That was our contribution to this exchange. Unloading our sin and shame and rebellion against God and putting it on Jesus on the cross. And the Bible tells us that this great exchange then, us, our sin to Jesus, you know what we get in return? The perfect, holy righteousness of Jesus put on us. Where we are unrighteous on our own, where we go our own way, where we're in rebellion, in Christ, our sin goes to him, he takes it, is punished for it, and in return, He, the only human that ever lived a life without sin, the life that you and I cannot live, his perfect, holy righteousness was put to us so that when God looks upon you, follower of Jesus, he doesn't see the sinful wretch that you are. When God, holy and perfect on high, looks upon you, follower of Jesus, he sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus. Amen? That's a great exchange. At least it was for us. If you do not have this righteousness, if you do not have righteousness, the perfect righteousness of Christ, because of following him, because of becoming a believer in Jesus, nothing can save you. But if you have it, if you have the righteousness of Christ, because you have recognized that you can't do it on your own, that you can't save yourself, if you've instead turned and asked, Jesus to lead you and save you and change you. If you have his righteousness, you are safe for eternity. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Verse 15. And as shoes for your feet, 
having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So now the picture in the armor is the shoes, the war boots. And, and, and scholars conjecture that perhaps uh, on, on the Roman soldier were these war boots that we might even think of as like a, with like cleats. And if you think of athletic shoes with cleats, you're thinking of traction, you're thinking of grip, you're thinking of being able to stand firm and not be pushed around. And so perhaps that's the picture that Paul was looking for. Perhaps that's why Paul then says that as shoes on your feet for traction, for standing firm, is the gospel of peace. It's the gospel that makes us immovable in battle. It's, it's, our, it's our life in Christ are receiving the gospel good news that brings us peace and makes us immovable in this spiritual battle. We have peace with God, Romans 5.1 on the screen tells us, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, since we have put our faith in Jesus, we've been justified, we've been made right, we've been put back in relationship, sinful man with holy God, we've been justified by faith, and because of that, we have peace with God. Instead of being enemies of God, in rebellion against him, going our own way. We have peace with God through Jesus. And perhaps you remember your, your life before Christ. And perhaps we, we, we need to be grieved and pray for those around us who are far from Jesus and who didn't, have not yet followed Jesus because I think this lack of peace apart from Jesus, I think this lack of peace is apparent. Life is difficult and things don't go our way. And we can't figure things out on our own. And so apart from Jesus, I think that, that people are aware of this lack of peace. But in Christ, we have peace with God. And when we have peace with God, then, we, then, then God gives us the peace of God. Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. With that peace, as our shoes. With, with that peace, peace between us and God, having been made right by Jesus, and the peace that God gives our hearts and minds, with that as our shoes, no matter what the battle brings, you can stand firm. You can hold your ground. Having put on the shoes of the gospel of peace. Verse 16 in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So we picture a shield. This shield might be almost as tall as our body, held up, and, and, and something that a soldier could then hide behind in the midst of battle. And you can imagine the arrows of the, of the enemy pouring in and being able to hold up the shield so that the arrows would be deflected and as, the, as a... Um, as the scripture even says there, we can even picture flaming arrows coming in and being extinguished by being planted in the shield. And so we have, again, we have this awareness of our earthly life. And what's our experience in life? There's arrows coming at us at times. And some of the arrows that feel, are coming at us sometimes feel like they're flaming arrows. What are the arrows that we experience? What are some of the arrows that are coming at you. Temptation, the evil one trying to lure you into sin. Uh, trials and difficulties and hardship and suffering. These are different arrows that are coming in this spiritual battle that we face. 
There are arrows flying in. What else? Rejection. Arrows of our own pride. Arrows of our own hypocrisy. Criticism that we face. So earthly life brings these arrows launched at us by evil forces that Satan would love to use to bring you down. But the answer is faith. If we have a picture of raising our shield and having those arrows deflected or extinguished, Paul, God through Paul, is saying the shield, the answer, is our faith. Look on the screen at 1 John 5, 4. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Faith binds us. Faith binds us in deep union with God. It's not just belief. It's not just belief there is a God. It's not just belief that in, in some of these things. Faith is, is a belief with trust. It's belief and trust. It's I know and I'm going to rest there. I'm going to find, I'm going to put myself in God's hands. I'm going to believe in him and I'm going to rest in him and in his word. Taking up the shield of faith. Verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation. A commentator, uh, one of the guys I was reading this week and studying, suggested that a, a helmet is a confidence builder. It kind of made me chuckle. But I guess I could relate. I don't know if you've had a chance to put on a different kind of helmet, you know, whether it's a, it's a motorcycle helmet or a, or a football helmet or uh, in the military or whatever. But I, I, I understand what he's saying, that the helmet is a confidence builder. You put that thing on and all of a sudden you might feel like you're able to do some things you wouldn't have otherwise done, right? That you're going to be safe in a place that you otherwise would have been a goner. I never was on the football field. That was not my thing. But I don't want to be out there without a helmet. And a helmet would allow you to be somewhere where otherwise you'd be a goner. <laughs> Philippians 1.6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The helmet of our salvation, our salvation, we're reminded, our salvation comes through Jesus and his work on the cross. We already talked about the gospel good news that a holy and perfect God rescues miserable, wretched, sinner, rebellious sinners like you and me through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The helmet of our salvation comes through Jesus. And that helmet gives us confidence that we will stand where we otherwise were in trouble. The helmet of salvation that God gives through Jesus assures us that in Jesus, whatever happens to us in this life, we will be saved. Through the cross, through Jesus' work on the cross, you have been saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. God will carry it on to completion. What God has, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you put your trust in him, what he began in you, that helm, that when you received that salvation, your helmet of salvation reminds you that he will carry that on to completion. Verse 17, uh, the, rest, the rest of 17 continues and says, And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And this is the last one we're going to cover for this morning. And uh, I, don't, I don't feel like I do this often, 
but I want to give you uh, a little, you know, whatever you want to call it, a little assignment. Don't call it homework, because then, you know, there's bad connotations, right? <laughs> Jot down Matthew 4, and a little later, I want you to go and read Matthew 4, and right now I'm just going to give you the, the one-cent recap. This would be a great thing to study this afternoon, tomorrow morning, when you spend time in God's Word. Look at Matthew 4, and it's the time when Satan tempts Jesus in the desert. And so what's happening is, is the evil one is coming to Jesus, and he's trying to offer Jesus shortcuts to what Jesus already gets. He's trying to make Jesus distrust God's timing and plan. He's, he's hoping he can mess with Jesus and get Jesus to fall into these temptations. And, and go read the story. But I wanted here's why I'm bringing it up is because what happens in that story, every time that Jesus fights back, it's with Scripture. When the evil one is scheming to mess with Jesus, Jesus' counter move is always to trust in God and his word, the sword of the Spirit. It's a, it's a defensive tool and an offensive tool. Jesus uses the sword of the Spirit. And so if Jesus himself, God the Son, living in flesh on the earth, if Jesus himself knew God's word and used it as part of the armor in the spiritual battle, what does that say for us? We too need to know God's word so that we can pick up the sword of the Spirit as we are engaged in this supernatural, unseen battle between the forces of good and the forces of evil. How do we take up the sword? We need to know God's word. How do we take up the sword of the Spirit? We need to know God's word. But here's a caution I have, or not a caution, just a, just a, a thought, food for thought. We need to know God's word, but I want to urge you to, to seek to know God's word, not just to know more of it, not just to keep adding to your collection of knowledge, but, but seek God in his word. Know it, study it, read it, memorize it. Yes, you should do those things. Jesus himself used the sword of the Spirit to respond to the attacks of the evil one, so I want you to be able to as well. Use God's word not just to add knowledge. Use God's word so that he uses it to soak into your heart and mind and change you from the inside out, that the result of knowing his word would be a whole new you, a new heart and a new mind and a new attitude and new desires and, and being more and more like Jesus in your life. And, and seek to know God's word, not just to add knowledge and not just to think you'll never arrive and you never learned enough Bible. Seek to know God's word so that you can live it out. So that because of knowing God's word, you can stand up to the attacks of the evil one. So that because of knowing God's word, he will increasingly use you as a conduit of God's love to the people around you who desperately need a touch of God's love. Know God's word so that because you know it, he will increasingly use you as a proclaimer of the spectacular news that Jesus lived a life that we cannot live, died the death that we deserve, and was raised again to new life so that you can have it too. That's why we want God's word to soak into us. 
That's why we, we do need to read it. That's why I do encourage you to memorize or, or meditate on it or study it. Find ways that you are, are, are picking up the sword of the Spirit so that God will help you to stand firm and engage in the unseen battle that is going on around us. And, and, and really, the last part of the armor in this passage is prayer. And we're going to leave that one for next Sunday. Verse 18 says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So that'll be where we pick up is the import- when, we talk- when we get together next Sunday is to talk about the importance of prayer and where that fits in to our armament in this spiritual war. But just look back up with me at verse 11 as we close. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of of the devil. This is a command and a promise. Followers of Jesus, put on the armor. Recognize the reality of these, of these things, the gospel of peace, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, the breastplate of Jesus' righteousness applied to you. Put on the armor. And there's a promise here that you will be victorious, that you will be able to stand firm, that while we, yes, we need to grapple with the reality of, of, of evil, and of Satan and his work and his, and his disruption and his lies. Yes, we need to be realistic about that and be aware so that we can engage in the battle. But more, even more, you need to know that with the armor of God, not your armor, not your strength, not your methods, but with his strength, you will stand victorious. How do we take up the armor? Not in our own strength. So it's not about self-reliance. It's about dependence on him. Verse 10 says, Finally, followers of Jesus, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Father in heaven, thank you for being a God who sees us and pursues us and rescues us. God, thank you that you are at work in our lives, changing us from the inside out, making us more and more like your son. God, we've had a a couple Sundays here to reckon with a, a significant topic, a difficult topic in some ways, the reality of evil, the reality of this supernatural war that goes on around us. God, would you increase our, our, our awareness? We want to be on guard. We want to be aware so that we can stand firm in you and so that we can engage in the battle. But even more, what we want to remind ourselves this morning, what we want to remind each other, is we want to look to the cross and we want to look to your son. We want to consider his life, death, and resurrection and recognize that God, you working through Jesus for our salvation means that sin and death and evil have been defeated. Thank you, Father, for the cross, for your Son, for new life in him. So teach us to put on your armor, to recognize the salvation, the righteousness, the goodness that you've brought to us. Teach us to put on your armor as we live our lives standing firm in you 
So God, as we continue our, our time together this morning, we lift our voices, we give our offerings, we say our prayers, we study your word, we care for one another, all out of thankfulness for what you've done, all out of, out of celebration that in Jesus we have life in celebration that the ultimate victory is yours. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.